Johnny's Secret Stash. I'm John Goldman. I'm here with my co-host Adam Conley from Beer Hippies and Modern Vultures. What's going on, man? Get caught up in Worst Fest, did you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of a fun show, though. Anyway, uh, you're listening to Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. We're underwritten by Harbor Country Hydroponics out of New Buffalo, Michigan, for everything you need to grow your own secret stash. And we are in the studio today with Ron Spears, a local musician, uh, an outstanding guitar player. We're going to listen to some songs from him. And that opening little tune you heard was Ron playing Windy and Warm BB. Um And uh, we're going to listen to that whole thing and then come back and have a chance to talk with Ron. Ron Spears. Here we go.
was uh, that was Ron Spears doing that Chet Atkins "Windy and Warm" cover, uh, and we have Ron Spears in the studio. Welcome, Ron. Thanks for having yeah. me here today. What a what a treat. So that was a song that uh, your our buddy Brian Barber helped you record. He song. did. He That's did. Awesome. He's got a, yeah. And that was the BB reference that yeah. I mentioned. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I do it so I know who it is that actually helped me uh, right, put right. that put that track down. Yeah. All right, we got a lot to talk about. So oh, cool. uh, I, you know, I know you as a musician now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you first start playing music? You know, what was it like growing up? Did you have a lot of music in your house? And you know, what, so what kind of music did you listen to or hear in your house when you were growing up? Well, my folks were very much into Broadway. I'm a New York kid. Uh-huh. And so I was inundated with lots of Broadway stuff, old Great American Songbook, but also uh, a lot of classical. Um, classical meaning Tchaikovsky, Broadway, George Gershwin. Uh, and I really got hooked on George Gershwin stuff. He and Ira Gershwin, just brilliant, brilliant songwriters and stuff like that. Uh, I make it a point every time I can get to see Porgy and Bess, I go. I'm not an opera guy, but I just love Porgy and Bess. Just something about it. Yeah. Yeah. So there was that kind of music. Um, I tried playing trumpet in elementary school. Oh, yeah. That uh-huh. didn't, that kind of blew over. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I what? picked up guitar at 14. Did you? Yeah. So when you were playing trumpet, did you at least learn um, uh, notes and things like I that? I learned how to read music. Oh, okay. All right. I learned so how to read music. you learned how to read music from an early stage. Yeah. And, and that probably helped with picking up other instruments would you say well it helped later on when i needed to read guitar music especially now with one of the bands i play in right uh, i'm handed charts i'd call you a picker you're a picker kind of guitar player well you're not a strummer so much not not as much i (laughs) i do a lot of strumming but um uh finger picking is you know when it comes to pop and stuff like doc watson and Right. That kind of thing. I do most of it with finger picking, and I can mix strums in there. I find playing with three or four fingers much more gives me much more versatility. Do you ever uh, use a slide? No, I don't. Okay. I don't. I never have. That's, that's the next chapter. Yeah. Ron Spears on <laughs> yeah, slide right. guitar. Hasn't been written yet. <laughs> but no, I haven't, haven't done that. So when no. you were 14 and you started playing guitar, did you take lessons, uh, or did you just pick it up and... Mostly just picked it up. I took lessons for a few months. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, I don't know why it didn't last longer than that, but I took them for a few months. And I actually learned one of my first scale forms. And I never forgot it. Yeah, isn't that funny? Y- years later, I go in and study ones. more scale forms. and I'm, There's like seven of them now I play routinely. But... Uh, so yeah. that's sort of your method of practicing even now, just to run through scales and limber up your fingers and that kind of thing? Partly. Um, but back when I was learning, I learned by ear. So I would listen to records. I would sit there with just next to the turntable and I would work on a song and I would work on like four bars at a time and I would lift the needle and go back and lift the needle and go back and just copy what I heard until I understood how it was played and learned the style. And then ultimately, as years went by, I incorporated that stuff into my own. That was pre-YouTube, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> certainly. This was pre-CD. Yeah, pre-CD. You know? Lifting uh, up the tone arm and putting it uh, well, back Well, that was it. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, LPs were the only form of music that you could... Well, yeah, 45s, but no. 
So I understand the kind of music your parents had in the house. And what kind of music did you get influenced by through perhaps other sources? Uh, you know, a lot of us will go to school and we'll have that experience of our parents playing this and that in the house. But then you got a buddy who who uh, loves Jimi Hendrix. And next thing you know, like, you know, you guys are listening to Jimi Hendrix all the time. Did you I'm, have- a, I'm a child of the 60s. Uh-huh. And so, uh, I mean, classic baby boomer. Dad served in World War II. Met mom in 1951. I was born in 52. They moved to Long Island out of Brooklyn. So I'm as classic as it gets. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the 60s, you know, the music just exploded. Uh And so I was influenced by music as diverse as the Grateful Dead, Paul Simon, Dave Van Ronk, who was part of the folk Sure. Revival yeah, in New York City. Cause part I would, of that whole Bob Dylan. He's yeah. what the Positively 4th Street That's uh, right. target. Well, and I have worked on West 4th Street I don't know how many times <laughs> in Greenwich Village. Have you? Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to be able to go into New York City. What was one of your earliest um, musical adventures that might have pulled you into that rock scene? I mean, I, all right, I know you went to Woodstock, so that's what well, I'm yeah. getting to. Well, was that one I mean, the, the reality is I was only 16. I, I know. When I Your went to Woodstock. parents were quite the, uh, or maybe they didn't have a choice. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I gave my mother a choice. My friends and I were either going to take a float trip down the Delaware River on a raft, or we're going to go to Woodstock. And she said, oh, I don't like the raft thing. <laughs> I'm sure she thought differently once she started right. hearing just what was going on on the news. <laughs> Free Wolf New York State Thruway's closed, man. Yeah, right, right. That's a pretty good impression of the uh That was R.L. Guthrie. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. It was crazy. H- had was you been crazy. to any big festivals or big concerts before going to Woodstock? Or was no. That, nope. so that was it. You went from uh, being a 16-year-old kid and listening to albums in your, you know, in your uh, living That's room right. or whatever, and then to <laughs> being right. part of that whole Woodstock experience. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, man. you know, and, and the Beatles were such an amazing part of all of that that I can only speak for me, but there was, there was five of us that uh, my st- friend Steve's older sister called the Ghetto Boys. Uh-huh. And uh, we would get a new Beatles album, and we'd go into Steve's room, turn out the lights, and just listen again and again. Yeah. But Steve's sister lived in Greenwich Village, and she introduced us to people that I would never have encountered at the age of 14, 15, 16. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, she introduced me to Bob Dylan. Really? You met Bob Dylan? No, 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 no. Oh, the music, the music of, Bob, of Dylan. Bob Dylan. No, I, yeah. I never no, met actually, the guy. No, actually, by mid-60s, he was probably untouchable at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you couldn't just, you know, find him at, uh, at the uh, yeah, no, local yeah. corner. He had moved on to a lot of different things. Sure. Yeah, you know. well, right. And uh, probably when you were first picking up guitar was around the time even trans transitioned from folk to rock with the plugging in kind of in the middle of that whole thing port folk festival pissed off yeah well that was yeah that was a whole highway 61 revisited album right where he went electric um funny little story i just learned uh from a show called echoes from the canyon a movie Uh that when dylan saw the birds play and did his song mr tambourine man electrified he says that's where i'm going (laughs) yeah that's where i'm how do you like that? That was pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty wild. So. Uh, okay, so um, you guys show up at Woodstock, and uh, were you stuck in traffic? Did you leave early? I mean, well, you know, what was your adventure we took a bus. to get there? Okay. We took a bus. You know, a bunch of 16-year-olds. What are you going to do, drive a car? Right, <laughs> No right. way, Jose. Yeah, it's one thing to... So we got on a Trailways bus 
early afternoon from New York City, got up to Route 17B, and everything came to a dead stop. The wow. bus driver said, you kids might as well just get out of here because you're not going to get there. I'm not going to get there. Well, peop- it wasn't like it was just backed up. People just abandoned their cars, so then you um, couldn't move forward. Oh, that's interesting. Actually, they were moving, but at a, at a snail's pace. Oh, okay. We got off Free the bus. abandonment I guess. And we started walking. People would hop onto cars, sit on the front of cars, back of cars. Uh-huh. And when they moved, you moved a little bit. Yeah. We didn't get to the actual Woodstock site until 4.30 in the morning. Holy cow. Wow. So oh, I was probably so up for two days. the show? No, no, no. This was Friday morning. Oh, okay. The show didn't start till the afternoon. Right. But the thing that really freaked, well, not freaked me out, just blew my mind, is that at 10 o'clock in the morning, they start to do a sound check. Uh-huh. And they start playing something that no one had ever heard. Because just two weeks before, the Crosby, Stills, and Nash album had just been released. Yeah. No one had ever heard this. And everyone's walking around, what is that? <laughs> what is that? They found out on Sunday morning. Right, right. So they, so see, Crossville's Nash was doing sound check. No, oh, no. They were, they were playing, playing the, album. the album. Oh, okay. So that was the first time that, had you heard the album before I you got I didn't even that? know they existed. Oh, okay. So all those harmonies and the guitar playing and uh, Phenomenal. must have been, yeah. And that had a profound effect on me uh-huh. uh, with the finger picking. Uh, that really shifted a lot of my stuff. Steven Stills, finger-picking on Yeah, the, he's, he's yeah. great. He's really an incredible guitarist. But yeah. then so is Neil Young, and oh yeah, and so is David Crosby. Um, well, it's interesting. Now you look back at Woodstock and see the bands that have developed as a result of it. CSN, you know, Neil Young. I mean, Grateful Dead were already kind of had their own following. They didn't uh, the do great, that great there. They were terrible. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, I mean, you know, that exploded his... Uh, it did. And Carlos Santana. Well, you know. that put Santana on the map. Yeah. And Bill Graham basically said to Michael Lang, the, the, the main promoter, that mm-hmm. if you don't bring Santana on, I'm not bringing my other people on. <laughs> and I think the Sounds rest of the like world was, was grateful kind of for that. Say. <laughs> well, and the 50-year Woodstock reunion that I went to on the Asger Farm, because it's now a permanent musical performance venue uh-huh. called Bethel Arts Music and Art. I don't music and arts, I guess, but the original amphitheater that Woodstock was is right. still there. Really, they wow. don't play the music there. Uh huh. But uh, but they don't farm it either. No, no, it's just grass. <laughs> it's just grass. So what? But the, but the what headline bands um, did you get interested in as a result of Woodstock, or what really set an impression for you? Oh well, I know you. We were talking about Carlos Santana the other day. Yeah, uh, soul sacrifice. Well, th- that that certainly was a major change. It didn't affect my playing, in a way. Um, I had was playing pop, but I was more getting into the the finger picking, Doc Watson kind of stuff. And not long after Woodstock, when the airplane broke up. Yorma Kalkinen and Jack Cassidy, the respective guitar and sure. bass players, formed Hot Tuna. Right, right. And, and I went head over heels in that stuff. Wow. I, when Yorma came out with his first album, Qua, I was living in D.C. and I bought the album and I was able to see him a lot because he lived there. And I learned every song on that album. And that profoundly changed the way I played. And this was your late teens, early 20s? I was in my early I... 20s at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and... You've had other experiences with Yorma since then. Oh, yeah. So yeah. talk about that a little bit. Well, I think it was about four years ago, 2015, about 2015. I found out 
when I went to a Yorma Kalkinen concert at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, that he had a place in south, southern Ohio called the Fur Peace Ranch. Heard about an about hour that and one, Adam? Hmm? Have you heard about that one? Yeah. yeah. In Pomeroy, Ohio. Yeah. And it's a combination of, of sleepaway camp and guitar heaven. <laughs> and uh, you sign up for the weekend. And so I've been there twice. Um, both the first two times were more focused on Reverend Gary Davis type stuff, uh-huh. uh, which is something I do a lot of. And uh, I'm going again in about four weeks. So does Yorma actually do the instruction? Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. Retreat kind of thing? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, all three. All, well, when I after I when I go the next time, it'll be all three times I'm working directly with Yorma. He is a very cool guy. And how does that work? I mean, you guys all sit around in a circle, and, pretty much, and he listen. Oh, hey, you got to do it like this, or or is there, you know, more? He will you know. show us what he's doing. It's it's a little less interaction, but most people who show up at these things are already pretty well accomplished uh-huh. musicians. And right. so they want to learn a different style or learn something a little off of what they normally would do. And it's just, a, it's a fantastic experience. And it's very intense because it's three times a day. You're in a two hour session. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Is there any songwriting emphasis or is it just no, this about is, st- this skill? is playing. This is, this is Guitar. working on your chops. Uh-huh. This is chops work. So have you learned anything in terms of how to improve your your practice procedure through that camp? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What kind of things were you doing before and and how did you adjust them as a result of the camp would you say? Well, sometimes different ways of doing alternating bass. Um working alternating bass into finger leads. It's funny I'm sitting here and I'm moving my fingers as I'm talking because yeah. I can't talk without my hands. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it's that kind of thing and just Fine-tuning and uh, just learning different ways of doing things. How often does he do these camps? Uh, geez, all year. Oh, he does yeah. them throughout the they, year. Throughout the season, but he's uh, not at every one. Uh-huh. Yorma's right. at some. Um, in fact, next week, I'm going to be seeing Yorma Kalkinen and Tommy Emanuel in Kalamazoo. Oh, that's That's going to be an awesome show. Up. Yeah. Uh, but Tommy's been down there to teach. Um, Stefan Grossman, someone I, I used to study a lot of his records and tabulature he's been down there uh and lots of people go down there to teach um well the first time i was there uh larry campbell uh, okay sure. larry campbell played eight years with the dylan band uh-huh the guy is amazing you know yorma says i'm an intermediate guitarist with 50 years experience yeah <laughs> and you look at him with your raised eyebrow <clears throat> uh-huh right whatever <laughs> uh but he looks at larry campbell and he says now that man knows how to play guitar. That's amazing. And, and he can play in any key, can transpose. Uh, and that's just a brilliant thing to be able to do. But right. that, that comes, again, it's, it's chops. It's playing. It's just constantly working on what you're doing. And so you have been doing this knowing how to read music. Uh, can you imagine doing it? playing guitar and learning guitar songs and things like that without knowing how to read music. And there's a lot of people that, you know, play by ear and don't really have a way to, to write down what they've written because they're not actually reading music or writing music. And, you know, they're sort of half remembering, um, uh, what they are creating or recording it and, and then having that record of it. I would say that, um, my experience with, Reading music, playing music, uh, 
I'm not a sight reader. You can't put a, a chart down in front of me and say, play it, and, and, and I'll just nail it. Uh-huh. I'm not a sight reader. Uh, that takes a lot of practice and sure. the amount of effort that I don't want to spend. But yeah, I can read it. But I really learn by ear. As I said, learning right, from the right. record, listen to it. Once you get used to progressions, you realize that you know, 90% of the songs out there are one, four, five progressions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it's like all, you know, rock and roll. So they throw in a couple of minors every so often just to throw in some fabric. But, you know, Adam, you play guitar. You know that. You know, it's that kind of thing. Right. right. So, uh, but really, I, I did learn by ear. Um, but I started experimenting. Um, I think it was in the late 70s. I went to a music store and I picked up uh, a copy of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Uh-huh. And I said, I'm going to learn this on the guitar. And I sat down on the steps outside of the, of the library where I was going to school, and I just worked on this day in and day out. I finally got to a point where it sounded pretty good. You know, I was like, but I had to work at it. Right, right. And at that time, I didn't have anywhere near the, the skill I have on the fretboard that, that I do now. Was it a, a, an album with guitar um, music of Ode to Joy, or you no. just were listening to Ode to Joy, following the melody, and well, I knew figuring it. out how I to... knew it because uh-huh. I love classical sure. music as well as I love uh, folk and rock and and jazz. Uh, Very so eclectic I, tastes. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. So I I knew what the song should be. So I just picked up a copy of the sheet music, and with the song in my head, I'm thinking, all right, well, this is where this note. And it ultimately it took months. <laughs> yeah. But I got it. Yeah. Well, that's a good training method to, yeah. to really push yourself to try to learn something that's not standard, I guess. Or, right. or... So you know what? We're coming close to the half hour. Um, you're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. I'm John Goldman. Adam Conley, my co-host, is here with us. And we have our special guest today, Ron Spears, a, uh, a very accomplished guitar player. And uh, we're going to actually have Ron uh, play a song for us. All right, so what are you going to play? And uh... I'm going to do uh, one of my favorites. This is a, a song I never get tired of playing. It's called Hesitation Blues. It's an old Reverend Gary Davis tune um, that, I, again, I learned from Hot Tuna. So here we go. All right. Well, a nickel is a nickel, said dime is a dime Meet a new gal, she don't mind Tell me how long do I have to wait Can I get you now, said must I hesitate Well, the eagle on the dollar says in God we trust you say you want a man, you want to see his dollar first Tell me how long do I have to wait Can I get you now, said must I hesitate
Well, the river was whiskey said and I was a duck You know I'd swim to the bottom mud and never come up Tell me how long do I have to wait Can I get you now, I said, and must I hesitate Well, the hesitation stock has got the hesitation shoes. You know, Lord, I got them hesitation blues. Tell me how long do I have to wait? Can I get you now? Said, must I hesitate? All right. Thanks, man. That Thank was you. awesome. Thanks. Uh, that's... Uh, uh, Gary, Reverend Gary Re- Davis, Reverend Gary Davis, right? Hesitation Blues. Yeah. Oh man, that was that was terrific. And is that something that you've been working on, or is that just one of those that you just get yes. deep down in you? Well, it's both. But yeah. I've been playing that song for a long time. <laughs> and uh, in fact, the last time I was at for a piece ranch, I played it the way I thought Yarma played it. And then she says, well, I, I changed all that. So <laughs> I picked up a whole bunch of new stuff. Um, but part of the weekend is an open mic on Sunday afternoon. Uh-huh. And right. so I went up on my chance to play on stage. I chose to do Hesitation Blues. Now, Yorma acts as the stagehand. Uh-huh. This is very cool. I mean, I'm the guy who should be the stagehand. But he's doing this. And it's like all adjusting acoustic. the mics and, right. and uh, getting and, the levels right and all right, that. Right. Awesome. And so... Uh, well, we'll be a sound guy as well. But uh, I turn over to Yorma, who's sitting on the side of the stage, and say, Yorma, this one is for you. <laughs> All right. And I rip into that. And it's just, it's just such a fun song to play. Oh, yeah. It's got a like, nice little rollick to it. Yep. And one thing that you had mentioned before, and I actually, maybe it was just in our past discussions, but that you uh, not only will do sort of the lead part when you're playing guitar, but then you also keep the rhythm, too, like as as you're moving through the right. the song. Well, that's exactly what I was doing on Hesitation. Yeah. You know, so you could hear stuff in the upper register, but if I don't have that alternating bass and floating around in there, the song falls apart. So I got to be doing both. Right, right. And you're not just doing the strumming the melody, but you're also, you know, stepping aside and kind of doing the, well, yeah. the finger. Yeah. Well, and that's where the, you know, the, the vocals come in which provides the actual melody line of the song. But, you know, when I do interludes, um, I try to fit in the melody, but the fun thing is I don't have to do the entire melody because as you're listening to the song, you're going to complete it in your mind mm-hmm. as, right. I, as I move through it. So you know where I'm going to go, so I fill in some other things, and you, you fill in the blanks. makes my job a whole lot easier. Yeah, in your mind. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, any... Any bluegrass influences in your history? Yeah. 
Yeah, Who I, are some of your bluegrass uh, flat inspirations? Scrug, or, or flat and Scruggs. Uh-huh. Uh, I would put Doc Watson into that category. Sure, sure. Even though he really um, moves from bluegrass to, um, I don't know, he has, he's almost like in his own category. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's hard to generalize any playing necessarily. Right, but, right. um you know, there's sort of a... A fixed target of what we imagine as being bluegrass right. or rock or yeah. jazz, but I've always liked no to, to blend it. Into I've anything. always liked to blend it. I'd, you know, straight bluegrass is something I never really played that much of. Um, but one of the again, this guy still performing is David Grisman. I was going to just mention David Grisman. Yeah, yeah. he's he's okay. a phenomenal that's one of the bluegrass of, guys I know. Well, and Jerry Garcia from that's the Grateful right. Dead, of course, uh, got his cut his teeth on bluegrass. And when Each, Jerry and yeah. David would get together, you know, they would do all these bluegrass tunes, and they'd switch them up and right. put a different time to it, and just have a blast. And I think Jerry's Grateful Dead playing was vastly improved by his experiences of pushing himself to be able to play group bluegrass. Yeah. I mean, also remember, you know, he had a missing finger on his picking hand. Right. So, you know, he was limited in, uh, in well, he, Jerry he was, do. Jerry was never a finger picker. Well, always flat pick. It, okay. So what's the difference between flat pick and finger picking? Flat pick. So I, between my thumb and forefinger, uh-huh. I have, uh, kind of a teardrop shaped piece of plastic. Right. And, you know, But when I play finger picking, I'm not having my picks on now, but you're all over the <laughs> Elsa's restaurant. All right. <laughs> so the fingers, what I like about finger picking, and I even do this with jazz, um, is it gives me more flexibility to pick the strings that I want to pick. It's the ultimate flexibility. Right. You know, because you can reach with any one of your five fingers, whereas. Yeah. So, I mean. And you're saying Jerry didn't finger picky no. only. Jerry was a flat okay. picker. Yeah. Um, and that comes from his bluegrass, but it also comes from, you know, rock and roll. I, I have this immense love of Jerry's musicality. Yeah. Uh, I, he's very much a guitar influence for me. Um, I sit down with backing tracks of some of the Grateful Dead songs, and I try to imagine that I'm like a tenth of the way there. <laughs> and I think that's being optimistic. Sitting on stage with Jerry and Bob, that kind uh, of... Just, just Jerry. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's... it's I, I've been to... I, my wife is convinced that the reason I'm hard of hearing is because I've been to too many Grateful Dead concerts. Yeah. She's probably right. <laughs> Depends on how close you are to the, uh, to the PA system, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, Bluegrass, that was one of your influences? To a lesser that? degree. Uh-huh. To a lesser degree. I enjoy it. Um... When I lived in the Washington, D.C. area, once a year I would go to the Folk Bluegrass Festival and I would hear all these great bands. But the real fun was in the parking lot yeah, where there were just pickup bands. Oh, that's awesome. So, you, you know, sitting around a picnic table, five people playing, you come over and say, room for one more? Sure. Oh, that's And you fun. just start horsing around and start yeah. playing with all kinds of different people. Sure. And then, you know, you go watch something that's going on. But So bluegrass had an effect, but I would say that uh, rock and... A lot of the folk revival and the folk rock stuff had a much more profound effect on me. Now now my mind is so into jazz. Right, right. And now I'm adding that stuff back to some of the folk stuff. So what are some of your favorite folk musicians and songs that you got Um, interested in? Well, 
when I think of you know folk people, I think of Pete Seeger, I think of Dave Van Ronk, I think of Joan Baez, um, Joni Mitchell. In in many ways, comes from that, but she was so unique. Um, well, she had such a beautiful voice too. It well, became more about her voice almost. But she was just a phenomenal songwriter. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, in the folk world, there's you know people California, like and, yeah, uh, I love that song. Yeah. But Coyote. Pe- <laughs> but people like Roy Bookbinder and Leon Redbone, oh, right. uh, guys who really, uh, John Fahey, Leo Kotke, um, more instrumental, but still coming out of that folk, folk right. rock kind of thing. And it, lots of smaller groups that, you know, a group called Magpie that I learned about when I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which I, I, whether they went anywhere or not, I'll have no idea. But just, you mentioned Arlo Guthrie, and Woody Guthrie is just sort of the, you know, everyone's big understanding of folk comes through some of Woody's presence. He, he was kind of the grandfather. Yeah. I mean, Woody was Bob Dylan's Inspiration, idol. right? And an inspiration, he very traveled much. to New York to see Woody uh, in his hospital bed. Yep. Before he even, like, got into New York City, I think. Uh, that's probably right. Yeah. That's probably right. But yeah, so you know, all that stuff come and again. When I was in the, growing up in the '60s into the early '70s, the Vietnam War was raging, and I was one A. So I was, as the uh, Stephen Still says, I was scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all of that stuff, all of that music, all the protest songs, uh, Phil Oaks, and, and a lot of those people. Um, played a big role in the stuff I was learning how to play because that was all, all you know, even Arlo Guthrie stuff. You know, that was all part of what, you know, Alice's Restaurant. That was all part of that whole right. uh, mindset at the time. And I'm sure being 1A at that age of your life just gives you this sense of mortality that you're going to yeah. just, you know, do make every day worthwhile at that yeah. stage. I, I had a student deferment until 1972. Then the student deferments disappeared. Yeah. And they came within four numbers. Wow. Of me in 1973. But then the war was just winding down. Right. And, um, well, the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was, you know, what was maybe like your first album that you brought home? If the you remember. F- for, oh, I don't. But it is as fair, I guess, as any. It might have been a Beatles record. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, first that LP. was a big inspiration for you, you know, at that at that age uh, during the mid sixties. Yeah, well, and it could have been Paul Simon, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh huh. Sure. Um, those were the records I was buying. I had a job at a little garden center, and I budgeted one album a week. Oh, so you were really collecting albums at that point? Oh, I still have yeah. a lot of those records going That's back amazing. to the mid sixties. I still have a lot of those LPs, and I've kept them. I've tried to keep them in good shape. You're right. No, uh, no sledding on them or anything like that. <laughs> no, we use cafeteria trays for that. Yeah. Uh, and so I know that you started playing guitar at 14. Was this, you know, any any crazy story about your first guitar? Did uh, well, you know, ever, all the musicians have, you know, Bruce Springsteen getting his first guitar at seven after being inspired by Elvis Presley? And I, you know. I had a, a goofy acoustic guitar. It wasn't much. And then, of course, everybody has to play rock and roll, right? Of course. So I got a cheap Fender Electric and a little Fender amp. 
Uh, and I learned songs like Snoopy and the Red Baron. And I uh-huh. realized that wasn't going anywhere. And it really <laughs> wasn't where I wanted to go. And so in my senior year of high school, I bought a Gibson 12-string because I just fell in love with the sound. But when I got to college and I started playing with a band, and we can talk about that, uh, it sounded really good, but I realized I can't learn much on a 12-string guitar. Why not? Why do you say that? It's Well, you're, you're, again, each string on a guitar is mirrored by an octave up. Uh-huh. So you have 12 strings. You can play what you know well on a 12-string, but to really learn the fingerboard and play sure. stuff with that, 12-string is, is not really designed for right, that. Right, because you, you don't always want to be having that 12-string right. sound, that ha- you know the two octaves at one time like that. Yeah. So I sold it. And I went to a, a, a major music shop in, in New York City called Sam Ash, which is still there as far as I know. And I bought a Martin D-18. And um, I still have it. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Martin, it's actually been back to Martin to do some neck reset and some serious repair work. So, so that now was I, a, a serious guitar at that point. It wasn't... It, no, this was a serious guitar. Yeah, it wasn't uh, just uh, you know a kid guitar where you were oh, no. with a bent neck and all that. I mean, it was a... I mean, it cost Quality. me, at that time, it cost 280 bucks. Uh-huh. I don't know what that would be in today's dollars, but a whole lot more. Well, yeah. into maybe 1500 I would guess. Martins are made in Kalamazoo or something like no, that. No, they're made right? in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Nazareth, Pennsylvania. So, but uh, that was my first real guitar, and, and I've had it ever since. Amazing. Wow. And it's just, a, it, the sound is phenomenal. After 40 years, the, oh, the mahogany yeah. is dried out. It's uh-huh. settled in. I keep it in the case. It's amazing how it holds its tune. That's that's wild. Yep. And uh, her name is Bertha. Oh, you, you've named it, of oh, course. Yeah. yeah. All the great guitars have names. <laughs> At least mine do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Lucille. You know. Well, yeah, BB King's. I I don't. Wasn't there like a dozen Lucilles over there? Oh, could be. Yeah. Yeah, there were quite a few. He would work through those things. Yeah. He would definitely wear them out. Well, isn't it uh, Willie Nelson Trigger? Yeah. And he's got a big hole in it. Oh, yeah. And he t- the guitar he looks like hell. It. Yeah. But Willie doesn't care. Right. It's, it doesn't make any difference. That's his trademark. He's got a yeah. guitar with a big hole in it. He doesn't and it's care. it's not like he's just using it as a as a prop. I mean, he's playing guitar, too. Oh, yeah. And Jerry Garcia Tiger? Is that? Uh, yeah, that was one. Yeah. Was he had a bunch of those. One of his, he had uh, quite a few ones. guitars. Yeah. He had quite a few. Did you... Um, so you started to say you were. When was the first band that you uh, had played in? I was a freshman, freshman in college. In college, in college. okay, freshman in college. So after Woodstock, oh yeah. Before yeah. Woodstock, were you? Did you have a, an idea that hey, I want to try to do something with this musical? I did, but it never went anywhere. Uh-huh. You know, it, you get a bunch of high school kids together and. Instead of trying to figure out what kind of music we're going to play, you try to figure out what's the name of the band. Uh-huh. It's like, aren't we doing this <laughs> bass backwards, you know? Yeah. I mean, but uh, that's kind of the way it was then. But um, I got to college, and I hooked up with this, uh, this one guy named Larry who just had this gorgeous Irish tenor voice. And so I would play songs, and he would sing. And then uh, we ran into this lady, Karen, who had this beautiful mezzo-soprano. And so we would voice. play the voice, yes. and we would sing. To, they would sing, and I would throw some backup, but I would play. And then Phil showed up. He played guitar, and uh, we had no percussion. No percussion. No, no percussion bass. at all. Yeah. No, um, no, no back no, end. No back end. So, Interesting. Not even like a, a uh, 
uh, drum? No, nope, no. Nope. Okay. It was two guitars. Uh, and at the time, I still had my Gibson 12-string. Uh-huh. So I was basically doing the rhythm, and Phil was doing a lot of the lead stuff because he was a lot better than I was. And we, we played for, together for about a year. So this was when you were in college and you yeah. played around uh, uh, the university and everything? And I started playing coffee houses uh-huh. uh, when I started getting you know, my solo stuff. Yeah. And I, I did that throughout the 70s and into the 80s. So the solo stuff came before you were in this band with these guys? Both before and after. Did the band have a name? No. I don't think we had a name. We just played. Just showed up. We would show up at the dining hall. I mean, we'd play for something. We'd get hired. Uh-huh. We didn't get paid very much. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. No one really cared. No. Was, uh, and that's the funny thing is when, when you want to be a musician, it's not because you're hoping to make money. It's You sort of can't help yourself, it seems. Yeah. So that was uh, the first band. How long did you guys do that kind of thing? Probably just, about a year. And then uh-huh. I just got into solo stuff. Yeah, okay. I would play with other people, but it was there was nothing formal. Until, um, was it my senior year? Maybe the end of my junior year, where I ran into Debbie, who played viola and had a great voice. And we put a, a duet together. And we played together about two and a half years. So these weren't what I would consider typical little rock bands. You were playing no. with, with um, more classically trained musicians. You mentioned yeah. the mezzo-soprano. and the, um, Yeah. Uh, and then this one, you know, this more recent one with, you know, not a typical... Uh, rock and roll kind of instrument that she was playing. Oh no! But you know, what we, kind of music were you guys we, playing? We did a lot of uh, Paul Simon stuff. Okay, uh, we did some of the you know, some slow, uh, slow tempo Grateful Dead, but a lot of folk rock. You know, that was a lot. You know, in a coffee house, that's pretty much what you're going to be playing. And we had a great time, and the vi- the viola became the lead instrument. So as many times I became. The rhythm section. Well, that's cool. Got to play rhythm if you want to play lead. Right. That's how the way it works. Yeah. You probably can't really play rhythm on a viola. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think so. It might be hard. <laughs> but you, that was uh, a lot of fun. That was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. But it's always been a guitar. I mean, It's always uh, been the guitar. You know, when I, I, I played trumpet in elementary school, but never went anywhere, and, and, and that was just fine. I can play a banjo. Yeah. Uh, do you not, have a banjo? No. no. Oh, I'm okay. not very good at it. But, you know, I'm right. a finger picker. So, I mean, banjo is finger picking. But, so it sounds like, I mean, I know that you're more active now probably than you were for a bunch of years. Was there a period of time when you kind of um, backed off on playing pr- uh, regularly and just, you know, had your regular life, you know, work there, and... And, yeah. uh, okay, so what what was going on during that? Well, toward the end of the 80s, um, I felt like I was hitting a, a, a wall. Uh-huh. I wasn't getting any better. I was playing the same old, same old stuff, which was getting very tiring. Were you continuing to practice at the same rate, or were you just sort of, you know, finding it other things? Faded, it faded over time. Right. And the other thing that I didn't know is that the neck of my Martin was bowing big time. And I didn't know that. And uh-huh. I didn't really know how to take care of guitars at that point. Uh, that's what Martin ended up fixing by resetting the neck and I straightening. See. But the action was so bad, I kept thinking, well, I'm getting bored of the music I'm playing. And it feels like I'm not playing very well anymore. Yeah. And then I got married. Then I got fired from my job. And 
then I ended you up had a lot more time to practice at that point. Well, yeah, but I just wasn't <laughs> just whatever. What, I, but I never got rid of the guitar. Uh-huh. I worked for three and a half years for a pharmaceutical company. Couldn't stand that, so re, you know, resigned from that and opened a wine import company. Right, I did that for nineteen years. Yeah, and um, so I put the guitar down for about sixteen years really just straight up put it down put it down and, and i kept looking at bertha in the corner and thinking uh-huh. you know i'm not playing it maybe i should sell it and i could never do that and then in 2010 it bit me again i got Mar- i got bertha fixed up started playing then bought the guitar i have with me now which uh-huh. is made by a guy named dennis zager uh from the band zager and evans back in the 60s uh-huh. and uh, he makes a guitar this was my first acoustic electric because the Martin is just acoustic. Uh-huh. It doesn't have a plug-in. Uh, the Martin doesn't. This it doesn't does. have a pickup at all. But this, so this one is this has a, an internal an acoustic, pickup. but it's got an internal pickup and a whole right, gotcha. a whole electronics package. Yeah, uh, and it's really great when I'm playing it like locally places like the Acorn, or if I'm doing stuff outside solo and I'm you know, playing through my PA, I need to run it through this. Uh, but I put it down for 16 years, and then when I started picking it up. I realized I better learn what I, you know, what I'm doing, because not only did I did I realize I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Right, and yeah, so the universe was pretty closed off at that point. Yeah, so I just jumped into it headfirst and started studying with a number of different people, taking classes at at, at an elevated level because I, you know, I was still a pretty good player. And prior to that, you just played. You didn't really do a lot of lessons and things like that. I never taught before. No, but I mean in terms of taking lessons. No, no. Took I a just few played. lessons here and there, but your your uh, playing and your practicing is what kept you going. Well, but yeah. Then when you got yeah. back into it, is when you really started looking more closely at. Well, I don't know theory and theory, uh, learning the fretboard, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of different musical expressions, voicings, different ways. I mean, there's dozens, as you know, Adam, there's many, many ways to play one chord on the guitar. And it depends. I mean, if you got a bottom in the band, then you don't have to be playing something low. Right. If you don't, then you change it. And I guess depending on the song, um, you're going to play that note in a way that makes it easier to get to the next note that you know you have to play. Uh, as much as possible. Uh-huh. Sometimes it doesn't work out like that <laughs> yeah, way. But, you know, but if yeah. there's an option, I guess, that yeah, would be a good yeah. way to structure a, yeah. I mean, a tab I, or something. At this point in my, in my musical career, I, I play a lot of what... Um, I'm studying with a jazz guitarist because I feel like I can always learn something. And I'm, I'm doing much of what you would know, position playing, mm-hmm. where I pick a certain position. And depending on the key, I have a, a number of different scale forms that I can improvise on. That in that particular position, depending on the key, you know the key, right? I'll use any number of them, and and do that. So in your early playing, let's you know you had this sixteen year gap. During that earlier stage, were you you know really just focusing on learning the songs, the actual um, uh, way it was written, and playing that, or did you ever venture out and and try to get creative as you were playing? You know. I definitely would put my twist on it. Oh, okay. Uh, once I learned it, I, I, I'm a firm believer that you want to learn s- uh, someone's style is to learn it, emulate it, and then adapt it, it to your yourself own. and make right. it your own. So that's early jamming, basically. Uh, yeah. You're doing some now, early jamming. If I could think of one thing that I would call my classical training, 
something most people wouldn't think of. Um, somewhere in the early 70s, I got hooked on ragtime. Yeah. Scott Joplin, W.C. Sure. Handy, James P. Johnson, really some really great stuff. And, and of course, Stride Piano and Fats Waller and all that. But I really wanted to learn this ragtime stuff. I'm thinking, man, this is really hard. I really, I really want to learn this stuff. And there's, I still have them. There's, there are tons of records out there. Stefan Grossman, John Renborn, um, a number of people like that that would record this stuff and then they would provide tabulature with it. Oh, okay. So once you got the tune in your head, you could look at where to put your fingers and that's how I learned songs like Dallas Rag, The Entertainer, Maple Leaf Rag. And I would play those on the guitar. And that's what really pushed my finger picking to a completely different oh, level. Oh, sure. Those are pretty fast note kind of songs and yeah. often played on piano but if when you're playing it on the guitar well, you really the only it's way it's completely to it different is, it's yeah. a lot harder on guitar i'll bet yeah because you're having to have you know a, a pick for each note well and that's that why you're finger picking yeah you know and you're using it's a four finger finger pick so a thumb and your first three fingers um when i played stuff that you know the hot tuna kind of stuff like yorma he's a three finger player uh-huh thumb and forefinger and middle finger uh, and I probably do that 75% of the time. But a lot of the times, that other part, I'll use that, that ring finger. Uh-huh. It just gives me a little extra of something where I need it, where I want to have that upper E string where I'm focusing maybe on right. my fifth and fourth and third strings. So before you took this break, um, the band you were in was this one you were in in uh, your freshman year of college, and then you were doing a lot of solo stuff. Were you in any other bands at that stage? Not really. Okay. I would jam with other people uh, when I was in my ragtime phase. My friend Yule Cook, who now lives down in Virginia, uh, we would play together a lot, and we would try to work out arrangements of playing these ragtime pieces together. So we would have a lot of fun, and when we would do other stuff, and so I would have people I would play with regularly but i never had a formal band that i would go out and play right with, okay you know and then um you started up back in 2010 were you in chicago at that point i moved to chicago in 1984 okay so from you the East were Coast. definitely in chicago oh, yeah. in 2010 oh yeah and then at that point uh sounds like you just jumped right back into it and and didn't put down the guitar again never when did you start with the new lessons and stuff 2014 so you, you were fiddling around by yourself before 2014. I wanted to re-energize all my synapses. Yeah. Want to find out where did all that music go? Is did it you make still a, up there? Did you make a plan for it? Or is it more that you were just, oh, hey, I'm enjoying this guitar and you'd find time to practice and stuff like that? Or did, or did you go in with it like, okay, I've got to get myself no, I, to I this made, level. I've got to get myself yeah, to I made level. time. I made time. Uh-huh. I revived a, a number of my ragtime pieces and went back to my old music. A lot of the old folk stuff, I probably had three or four hundred tunes that I could dip into. And all I had to do was find, I kept a lot of my old music, but a lot of the stuff that I had just written down and transcribed went the way of things. But uh, in 2014, I started seriously with the guitar theory, and I never stopped. And I think it was the beginning of 20, no, the end of 2014, yeah, um, I just decided, if you're going to do it, just do it. And, and so other I, than um, the uh, Yorma's, ran, uh, Yorma's Farm Ranch, 
what uh, kind of lessons did you take? Well, that, when I initially was through the Old Town School. Oh, okay. You know, the Yorma stuff is something like, you know, it's three, it's four days. Right, of course. And I've, you know, I've, I've done that twice since 2016. Um, but to really dig in. To and, dig in. And, so in 2014, the School of American, not School of American Music, the Old Town School of Folk Music uh, has a guy named Tony Del Rosario, who's a currently performing jazz guitarist. And a really fabulous, great guy and a great musician. And he was offering a jazz guitar intro. So I jumped on it. And after the course, I said, Tony, I am so swamped here. Can I take the course again? He looked at me and says, no. And I just looked at him and puzzled him. And he <laughs> <No>. <laughs> says, private lessons. He says, it's worth your money. And so I work with him for 10 months. Oh, great. Once a week. And it just... It had a profound effect on what I did. I, I learned an immense amount of stuff. And um, so I started working on my own, and I worked with Garth Taylor, who was the founder of the School of American right. Music. And I do want to get to that. What yeah. I want to do at this point is to talk about you know, where your next gig is going to be. I know oh, you have goodness. one later today. I do. But uh, just get a little idea of you know what you might have coming up. But also have you... Uh, you know, we'll close out the hour, the radio hour, and have you play a song at the end. Sure. So, first of all, uh, your newest band, what's the name of that? Well, I play with a, a jazz orchestra called Down by the Dock. All right, we'll it's, talk about that later. Sure. But where are you guys playing? You've got we are, a gig playing coming up today, I know. This afternoon, we're playing uh, in the middle of Laporte for the Sunflower Festival. All right. It's an hour long gig. Um, this is, you know, a band with trombones, trumpets. Alto tenor saxes, keyboard. How many members drum. to the band? There'll be about twenty of us. Wow. Today. Okay. And then uh, you've that one coming up today, and uh, and obviously it'll have already happened by the time this yeah, gets right. aired. Right. What a great show that was, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, anything else coming up uh, this fall? Oh yeah, uh, Down by the Docks has uh, three three gigs at a, a senior re a residence in South Bend, uh, where. Uh, we'll be doing their dance night. Oh, fun. So we'll do two-hour gig playing dance music. A lot of stuff, uh, the Great American Songbook. Stuff like Take the A-Train, Satin Doll, Misty, uh -huh. that kind of stuff. Is there a singer um, as part of that the, band? There's no vocals. It's all, it's it's all instrumental. All instrumental. And then is it traditional jazz where, you know, you've kind of got the common theme to the whole thing and each person gets kind of their little chance to do a solo uh, there I guess are, with 20 there might. are some solo people trumpets uh -huh. acts but this band which really makes it a ton of fun is all over the place so we do songs by duke ellington the foo fighters cupid yeah. bon jovi <laughs> you know fats waller so we're really all over you the place. are really all over the place and uh it's just a lot of fun I and mean, we just got five new charts and uh you know, it's a little scary when you get a chart and there's a guitar lead in there and you're not a sight reader. It's like, oh, wow, this is really terrifying. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you do your best because you only do that in rehearsal. And when you finally come out to play it, you got you got Right. Your, your chops definitely test, test your chops like that, too. It does. You know, it uh, forces you to, to really step it up and doesn't get hidden in the, in the, no. Uh, no. In the mix, I guess. 
All right, well, you guys have been listening to Johnny's Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country. I'm John Goldman, and I have my co-host Adam Conley here. We're extremely excited to have had this opportunity to sit down with Ron Spears, a guitar player, a local musician, and a uh, wonderful jazz band. It's actually playing today and later uh, later this fall. Uh, and you're listening to us on WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks and 93.5 WRHZ out of Sawyer, Michigan. And we're also available as a podcast through iPod, uh, Podbean or the new, uh, well, they're not calling it iTunes anymore. Yeah, it's like Apple Podcast or something. Uh, I don't know. It's a little purple thing on your... Uh, they go out of their way to confuse us. <laughs> yeah. So. Just uh, new avenues for uh, for for uh, um, uh, financial growth. Anyway, uh, love to have you close us out with a song. What would you be able to play for? What, what are you going to play for up, us? If I take us back to the folk movement of the '60s in New York and play a song by Tom Paxton. Awesome. All, All right. right. This is called. Uh, what is it called? I could have loved you better. All right. It's a lesson too late for the learning Made of sand, made of sand In a wink of an eye my soul is turning In your hand, in your hand Are you going away with no words of farewell? Can there be not a trace left behind? Could have loved you better I didn't mean to be unkind You know that was the last thing on my mind I have reasons plenty for going This I know This I know For the weeds have been steadily growing Please don't go, please don't go Are you going away with no words of farewell? Can there be not a trace left behind? I could love you better, I didn't mean to be unkind You know that was the last thing on my mind As we walk down the street, my thoughts are tumbling Round and round, round and round Underneath my feet, the subway's rumbling Underground, underground Are you going away with no words of farewell? 
Can there be not a trace left behind? I could love you better. I didn't mean to be unkind. You know that was the last thing on my mind. Darling, that was the last thing on my mind. All right. That was great, Ron. Thanks for that. Uh, we are now officially in just the podcast hour, so we don't have to hold back. If you want to say the S word again, that yeah. works out just fine. <laughs> or even the F word. Yeah. And by the way, the name of that song was The Last Thing on My Mind. All right. I, for whatever reason, I forgot the title, even though I remember all <laughs> You remember every I remember little every word of it. it. Every word and every uh, note of it and all that. That's but, really funny. Uh so uh, before I uh, want to, I definitely want to hear more about the jazz band. I want to also talk about, you mentioned Garth um, uh, from the School of American yeah, Music. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, how did you get involved in the School of American Music? Well, it's funny. It, did you uh, ever take lessons there? Uh, no. Okay. Well, so, y- yes and no. I studied with Garth. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was through the school. Um, and the School of American Music is a uh, music school based out of Three Oaks, Michigan. That's right. That's right. And um, they also teach recording, don't they? Um, they teach recording. Uh, at the school, we teach guitar, piano, voice, violin. Uh, for a while, we had a mandolin teacher. Uh, but there's a number of these different kinds of genres. Uh, so we try to get local musicians to come in and, and do this kind of thing. Terrific. Uh, so, my, yeah. I was, my first connection with the school was when Garth wanted – he, he was a friend of ours, and he wanted to found this school to provide music teaching for the community, to provide scholarships for students who couldn't afford it. Uh, so he f- formed the school, and the founding board was my wife. She was As one of the members of the founding board. She was the founding board. board the and what year and was this that this all started oh, this happening? Is, this has got to be five years ago. So 2014, when you first started taking lessons at the Old Town School Old Town. Of, Art, uh, of Folk Music. Right. And there was one night, I think, Garth was at the house. We were having a bunch of people over for, uh, well, you know, you've been to one of our vinyl nights. Yeah. Uh, this is an all, a no-holds-barred night where no, you, you come in and... Huge the, vinyl collection. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, always a pleasure. And the, uh, what's it, the... Uh, the rules of engagement are come in and pick your albums and get on the list. If you don't pick your albums, forget it. You're not going to have right. your music played. Get there early. But I was listening, I liked Garth's playing. I said, Garth, I really want to learn what you're doing. And so we worked together for, for quite a while. Is, and so he plays the guitar. Garth is a very good guitar and player. W- what's his style of guitar? What, what kind of uh, He's kind of all over is, the place. Uh-huh. You know, folk, folk rock. Um, old-timey stuff he likes. He's really been doing a lot of research on going back to the 19th century, the 18th century of American Pre-recording music. Pre-recording almost. Oh, way wow. before. And so it's really been a lot of fun. And, of course, he teaches a lot of different people. Uh-huh. And um, I started teaching at the school about a year ago. Yeah. And how is that as an experience, going from someone being taught to then having to, you know, uh, not having to, but then uh, transforming into someone who's who's guiding others. It makes you think about what you're doing. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to know. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm finger picking. I want to teach someone. What What is it that I'm doing that right. to me comes so natural? I don't even think about it at this point in time. And uh, so it, you know, you have to learn how to distill it down to the simple. 
where you can give somebody something and be flexible to understand what they get and what they don't get and how to encourage them to to, to, sure. to experiment. And, and the hardest part in any teaching position is to get people out of their comfort zone. Do you mirror some of the teaching that you've received in the teaching that you give? Invariably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's what you know. Right. Uh, how, and, how you've been taught. So it makes it... And I have my own ways of doing things as well. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, learn from the, you know, learn from the teachers. If you're going to teach, learn what they taught you and how they did it and adapt it because every student's different. Right. So um, old people, young people, you know, what are, what's the uh, background on uh, some of your students? Uh, most of my students are adults. And are they learning how to play kind of whatever you give them, or do they come in with a preference towards certain kinds of music? Sometimes both. You know, it really, I'm not there to teach them how to play a certain kind of music. I'm there to teach them how to play whatever it is that they want to play better on their instrument. Do you That's my goal. focus on theory, or do you, you know, take a song and uh, have them... Um, pick it apart and learn how to play it as a method of learning to play? Well, in some ways, you've just answered your own question. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, if you take a song apart, you're working on the theory of the song. And so to understand what a progression is. I mean, a lot of these people come in, they don't realize how much they know right. about progressions. You know, they I don't, they I don't have the vocabulary at that exactly. point, perhaps. They didn't know what they didn't know. Uh-huh. There you, know? you go. Um, gets back to that. You know, when I learned the basic one four five, you know, C F G or G C D, you know, one four five the the because every scale has eight notes. It starts and ends on the same note. So it's alphabetical. C D E F G A B C. And there are also the same chords. And you realize that, well, songwriters are putting an A minor in there, but no one ever told you that it was the sixth chord in the progression. So it's, you, know, you, you do a one six two five, which is a common jazz progression. So you're playing, you know, a C, an A minor, uh, a D minor, and then a G or G seven, something like that. So, and a layperson might not realize that that's that's what's going on, right? Uh, but they know when it doesn't sound right. Of course. When the progression doesn't sound right. And we play with it. We said, all right, well, let's let's play it the way it should. Now substitute a chord that shouldn't be there. Uh-huh. And the answer is, yeah, it does sound funny, but sometimes it sounds good. And musicians do this all the time. Right. If you're in the key of C, E major is not part of that chord progression. <clears throat> it's E minor. So, but then... You can change it. So when Willie Nelson is playing crazy, instead of going to an E minor, he plays an E seventh. So it's you know it's all over the place. Yeah, it's, yeah. So it's it's it like well, this is the rule, and to accept there's an exception to the rule. Why? Because rules are made to be broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you so you got to give people theory, I and, and I want them okay. to understand just what it is they're doing. And again, that comes from my own experience is that I wanted to know just what it was that I was doing. You, you learn by ear, but you don't realize, why am I playing an E minor and an, and, or an A minor in the key of C? Why am I doing that? And why does, you know, a, 
an A major sounds so funny. So it does help to have that it, background. It, it makes a difference. It makes a difference to me. And, you know, I have to be sensitive to each student. It's like, well, you know, some of them don't care that much about theory. Some of them go way over, overboard and learn 20, 20 or 20, you know, 30 different chord forms for one or two chords, but they don't know what to do with them. And so it's, it's this bringing things along and said, well, okay, you could play a C like this, or you could play it like this, or you could play it like this. But that choice depends upon what it is that you're trying to do. And that also sort of gets back to what I had mentioned before about wanting to be able to get to that next note. Mm-hmm. And so when you choose which C you're going to play, you want to choose it to be one that's close to where you need to be next time. Perhaps. Perhaps. Or sometimes I just happen to like the voicing. So uh-huh. a lot of times if, if I'm in the first position of playing a D, I'll go to a different form, but it's still a D because it just gives me something different, different sound, uh-huh. which is uh-huh. a lot of fun. Or I can... So it just, it's a, it's, it, voicing, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah. And, um, you know, in jazz, it, it, the whole thing changes around because everything is done with sevenths and the whole thing <laughs> switches around and it just confuses, you know, beginning students. So let's talk about how you've evolved from, you know, basically having, just putting your guitar off to the side to getting back to it and taking the guitar lessons. Mm-hmm. When was the, uh, you know, when did you get to a point where you thought, okay, I'm going to see about playing out again? Was that before you started taking lessons at the Old Town School of Folk Music or was it s- at a point before that even? No, it pretty much coincided. Uh-huh, okay. Where I got my chops back and then I started doing open mics uh, um, just to get back on stage. And realizing how terrifying it really is. You ever do any of the open mics in this Harbor Country area? Well, I've done the Acorn many times. Yeah. I've hosted open mic at the Acorn. Uh, I've played at Delivery. I've played at Barker Pub. Barker Pat, Pub. Barker Pub. Oh, uh, not some, familiar with that. Some place in Michiana, Michigan okay. City. Um, I've yet to get to the front porch. I haven't done that much in the way of open mics because my music is taking me away from a lot of my solo stuff, but. Uh, I will do, I mean, I played at a, uh, some farmer's markets this summer. Great. And uh, uh, what did I do last year at uh, you Sawyer? Went to, you played at Greenbush. I played at Greenbush. I did once. They played at Sawyer Garden they, Center. I do the Christmas show there. Yeah. Which is kind of wacky. Yeah, that's got to be fun. You know, Frosty the Snowman done finger picking. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even have fingers. I, yeah. Well, if, if he did, they didn't last very long. <laughs> well, it might have been the only thing that lasted because they were made out of what? Sticks. Sticks. Uh, yeah. But anyway. All so, right. So, so yeah, I do you a lot of did a lot of, of the solo stuff. And then I know that you were with a band called Atu. Yeah. Were for, you with a band before that one? No, I wasn't. Not All right, up here. So tell us about Atu. What kind of that music was a lot did of you fun. guys play? How do you um, spell Atu? A-H-T-U. Okay. <laughs> uh, it started out. Uh, with a lady named Dot- Dorothy Packen and Deborah Sawyer. Dorothy played accordion, and Deborah plays Celtic harp. Another outstanding, different kind of musical uh, approach to right. playing music. That, right. You know, not your typical bass. No. You know, drum and, kit, uh, keyboards. But we would do um, songs from the Great American Songbook, like Sentimental Journey and... Um, these foolish things, and then we do folk, uh, 
you know, stuff like Peter, Paul, and Mary stuff, and then we do a lot of traditional stuff, especially especially when we got to the Irish, you know. Uh-huh. We did a lot of the Irish stuff. Did you? Uh, Dan Moser joined the band before I did as a bass player, stand-up bass. Okay. And he would play a banjo as well. And I think it was 2016 or 2017, 26, 2016, they invited me to join. Garth actually played with them for a while. Garth played with them too. Okay. Yep. And it didn't work out for whatever reason. I never asked Garth. Not my problem. Not my business. Scheduling, perhaps. Maybe. Benefit uh, of the doubt. But I joined the band. We'd mostly play senior homes, but we did play the cor- a couple of times the corned beef off. Oh, at David's at, Deli. At David's Deli. Cool. So we did the Irish stuff. and uh-huh. it, it actually turned out to be a lot of fun. And that's a whole different genre that you hadn't been playing before, you know, a specific Irish music. Did, no, did you but, notice like a big difference in in the... the um, composing of early American music or or even American folk music versus some of the phrasing for Irish music. No, I found a, an amazing amazing amount of similarities. Oh, that's even uh, because, that's almost more interesting. Yeah, um, really. When you get down to it, American folk music all stems from Europe, right? And well. African influences certainly from the 19th century or the 18th century, uh, but there's a lot of, of Irish influence in American folk. And there was a real fun overlap of stuff I used to do. You know, we did a number of songs that I used to play, you know, like Leaving on a Jet Plane. I played that with lots of people. Uh-huh. Uh, John so, Denver. Uh, I, did John Denver write that? Well, I don't know if he wrote it, but. Peter, uh, Paul, and Mary uh, made that famous. But we did Country Roads as well. I mean, that was definitely a John Denver song. Yes. That um, he was, I'm sorry, people boo-hoo him because he was really a good musician. Well, that's a really good songwriter. We were talking about first albums. That was the very first album that uh, that I got. Oh, wow. I know. How about wow. that? I've, my yeah. genre preference has changed considerably well, since yeah. uh, John yeah. Denver. But, so uh, it, there was a lot of overlap, and it was a lot of fun, and, and I learned a lot. And uh, and we had a real good time playing, and we were pretty tight. Yeah, I was very comfortable. Uh, the band has kind of fallen apart at this point. Dot got uh, she had other things she had to do, and um, I needed moving all around too, playing at all these different right. and spots. I, and, and I needed to, to move on and get into different places. And I had gotten to down by the docks. Uh, Deborah and I still work on tunes together. Oh, that's fun. A guitar and a harp. It's it's different. And so now this this jazz band down by the docks. Yeah. Uh, it was in existence before you started playing with it? Oh, yeah. they. A lot of these people, this goes back quite a few years, were playing in the town band. That's the name of the band? Uh, well, New Carlisle had a town band. Oh, I see. That okay. would play. And uh, this is just the stories that they've told me where they would play, but it was the same old, same old all the time. And it was just for... You know, big American holidays like Memorial Day or the Fourth right. of July, and you know, dun, 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 dun. I mean, uh-huh. that's all cool music, but that really wasn't where they wanted to go. Right. And so, a lot of these people had been playing in school bands since they were kids. So this band has people who are seventeen and seventy. That's it's really cool. Quite a, a variety. One, one of our trumpet players, his his daughter, who's going to be a senior in high school, is a tenor sax player. Well, perfect. It's so cool. Yeah, it might have been it's hard really to find cool. a tenor sax player had it not been for his daughter being a tenor sax yes. person. Well, and there's actually player. four tenors. Is that right? There's four tenor saxes. There's three or four altos. 
Well, you have 20 members in the band. Four That's trumpets, amazing. two trombones. The scheduling's got to be crazy. It, it's, uh, if it wasn't for Facebook Messenger, it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, Those group texts and group messages, yeah. that's, that's the way a lot yeah. of things work. But, you know, this was a perfect fit for me because over the last six, seven years, uh, well, even before that, um, I had gotten much more into jazz vocals, listening to all kinds of jazz, even before I had picked up the guitar again. So my, my mind and my soul was really focusing on the Great American Songbook. I had really, uh, I mean, st- stuff from the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, which uh, a lot of it came from Broadway. A lot of it was just written for different things. Uh, but I mean, songs like Over the Rainbow, which is a standard, comes from a movie. Yeah. You know, a lot of these, and a lot of the Gershwin songs that became very famous were part of a Gershwin Broadway show that flopped. Oh, but there was one or two right? good songs. Yeah. And they stuck around. Um, so I started getting into all of these authors, Cole Porter, Rogers and Hart, Jerome Kern, uh, Oscar and Hammerstein, um, George and Ira Gershwin. I started getting into all this stuff and just, it just took on a life of its own. I said, I, I really need to play this music. I really need to do this. So do you miss playing, you know, some of the more rock and roll kind of things or even Grateful Dead kind of stuff? Uh, You had talked about how, you know, you had played a lot of the slower kind of dead songs. And I'm picturing like maybe Friend of the Devil. Oh, yeah. Actually, I do a really good acoustic version of that. Really? I'll bet. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I do miss it to a degree, but I never really did a lot of rock and roll. So it's not something that was so ingrained that uh, I felt I'm missing something. Right, right. But the more I get into this jazz stuff, the more I realize rock and roll is just, you know, a couple of steps to That's the side. That's right, yeah. It, it know? all, you know, kind of comes it, from... It's all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. And, uh, you know, you played that um, Reverend uh, Gary... Um, Gary Davis. Davis. And that's, that's straight on blues, really. Well, it's funny... Um, because you listen to it, and it, it's a lot of finger-picking. It sounds like it has a bluegrass influence. He is from, you know, from the South, and, uh, so, and he was African-American. And um, it was amazing when he moved up to New York, and people like Yorma were actually there. Because a lot of people studied him, w- with him. Bonnie Raitt studied with him. Yorma Kalkin and Stevie Goodman, one of our Chicago uh-huh. favorite Chicago songwriters. Folk, just folk guys. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. John Prine. John Prine. And so, you know, Yorma tells a story that here's Reverend Gary Davis playing on the streets of New York and they want to record this music. And they ask him if he wrote these songs. And he says, well, no, I didn't write any of this stuff. Well, who did? He says, well, you remember, boys, I'm a reverend. These were given to me by the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) And so they look at each other and like, okay, we're going to put Reverend Gary Davis on the credits here because that's (laughs) who actually wrote these songs. But he can say whatever he likes. Yeah, he channeled them. Yeah, it's just very funny the way that whole thing worked out. Yeah. So uh, getting back to your uh, the, the jazz band. Right. I know that you have a, a gig today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, uh, this is on the street of South Bend? It's literally on the corner of Lincoln Way in Michigan. That's, and, I think. And then you're going to have all 20 of you or you know, maybe We're going to be in the middle of the street from yeah, what I hear. Amazing. So I need, I need to get there pretty early yeah. so I can find a place to, to leave the heap and carry all my gear. Because unlike most of those people, I'm just, just not carrying a horn and maybe a chair. Right. 
You know, I got my music stand. I've got the stand for the the speaker. The speaker. You know, I've got a. Yeah. So you have a bunch of horns. Yeah. You're the guitar player. Any other guitar players in the nope. band? Uh, what about a bass, stand-up bass, acoustic bass of any kind? We are looking for, an, uh, I mean, we've, we have an on-and-off electric bass player who plays an acoustic electric bass. Uh-huh, okay. And he's very good. Um, he just doesn't show up very often. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. And then, uh, and you can't always just, are there any, when that kind of thing happens, are you like, oh, no, he didn't make it, I guess we'll not be able to do that song? Or do you work around no, it? No, we work around it. Yeah. Oftentimes the keyboard can... Uh, a lot of times, I can modify my rhythm portion right. to focus more on the lower register. Yeah, you know, and I'll turn the reverb reverb up a little bit so I can get a little more stuffing out of uh-huh. it. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. So. All right. Well, let's. Um, uh, you've been listening to Johnny's Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country, and actually through our i uh, uh, through our podcast, Johnny's Secret Stash. And um, we are here with Ron Spears, a local guitar player. Uh, he's been telling us all kinds of interesting stuff. Uh, and hoping to round out this show with um, a selection. You mentioned uh, that Friend of the Devil song. Yeah, that could yeah. be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, that would be fun. All right, here we go. And, and uh, after, uh, so after the end of the song, we're going to close out the show. I hope everybody has a good weekend and uh, check out Ron Spears through his new band. Yeah, or guitarist and vocals at Ron Spears Music on Facebook. And there you go. out from Reno, I was trailed by twenty hounds Didn't get to sleep last night till the morning came around Said I'm a runner but I take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine I get home before daylight Just might catch some sleep tonight Ran into the devil and he loaned me twenty bills Spent the night in Utah in a cave up in the hills Said I'll run but I'll take my time Friend of the devil is a friend of mine I get home before daylight Just might catch some sleep tonight Ran out to the levee but the devil caught me there Took my twenty dollar bill and I vanished in the air Said I'll run him, but I take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine I get home before daylight Just might catch some sleep tonight Got two reasons why I cry away each lonely night First one's named Sweet Anne Marie And she's my heart's delight Second one is prison, baby Sheriff's on my trail and if he catches up with me, I spend my life in jail. Got a wife and she no baby and one in Cherokee. First one says she got my child, but it don't look like me. Said I'll run about a take of my time. Friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might catch some sleep tonight.
Got ten reasons why I cry each lonely night First one's named Sweet Anne-Marie and she's my heart's delight Second one is prison, babe, sheriff's on my trail And if he catches up with me, I spend my life in jail Got a wife in Chino, baby, and one in Cherokee First one says she got my child, but it don't look like me Said I'll run, but I take my time Friend of the devil is a friend of mine I get home before daylight Just might catch some sleep tonight